When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the review for our first test, uh, Unit 1 test, the Constitutional Underpinnings. Uh, I gave you a hard copy of the review. It'll also be on E-Class if you prefer a uh, digital copy. So this has been a weird unit, um, not the material. The material's always been the same, but just with uh, me being out for a week and uh, just people in and out uh, for different reasons. Um, the, the semester's always kind of a difficult one to, to start sometimes, so... Um, you know, do the best you can uh, with this stuff. Um, hopefully, it's mostly familiar to you uh, when you take the test. Uh, as always, ask questions if you need to. Uh, remind, email, uh, social media, whatever you need to do to get a hold of me. Just uh, find me and uh, ask me questions, and I'll try and answer them as best I can for you. Let's go through the review. Uh, if you want to have it out or you just want to listen, whatever you like to do, uh, your choice. Uh, it does not impact me. Anyway, all right, so first off, uh, the discrepancy between the number of study guide questions and the test questions. So there's 40 total test questions, and there's only 28 review questions. Um, there's a lot of stimulus-based questions, and that's the reason. So there's going to be a passage that, and then answer the next two questions about said passage. Here's a political cartoon, answer the next two questions about that cartoon. So that's why there's a difference. All right, so the first thing there is Fed 10. What was the argument in Fed 10? So you had to do a um, discussion on Fed 10, compare Fed 10 and, and Brutus. So hopefully you're familiar with both those because you'll they're both on the test, obviously. Uh, Fed 10 is right there, and then Brutus shows up a little bit later. Fed 10, um, the argument was about factions, okay? And Madison is going to admit Hey, factions are going to happen. That stuff we talked about with pluralist democracy, these things are going to be. They're, they're just, there's no way to get around having factions in such a large group of people. And his argument in his paper was that basically by having the government that we have setting up, the proposed government, this republic, this large republic with a powerful central government and all that kind of stuff, It'll keep the factions in check. So that was the big argument there. All righty. Uh, number two, impeachment. So this was something we went over very briefly uh, in class before I had left uh, for that week that I missed. Uh, impeachment, first off, is not the kicking out of the president, which is what most people will think uh, if you talk to them or ask them. Uh, impeachment is the president can be kicked out, uh, judges, some officials, okay, so it applies to any number of people. We apply it mostly to the president because it is a check that uh, Congress has on the president, all right? Uh, but basically what it boils down to is there's two steps, and impeachment is the first step, and then it's being kicked out of office. So the House is the one that does the impeaching. So any official, whether it's a president, a judge, whoever, has done something the House deems as a high crime or misdemeanor. 
And remember we said in class during the review, that can be literally anything or it could be nothing. Okay. But the house says, Hey, official president judge, you did this. We're going to impeach you for it. A simple majority in the house votes on it and says, yes. Then it goes to the Senate for a trial. The Senate is the ones that will decide to kick the person out. We've never had a president kicked out. We've had some judges and a few lower level officials uh, removed through the impeachment process, but never a president. <clears throat> All right, federalism, that is the sharing of power <clears throat> between the different levels of government. We concentrate on uh, the president, I mean, excuse me, the federal government and our state government in our class. Uh, and that leads us into our next thing, which is Lopez versus U.S. All right. Uh, and on the test, there's going to be a, a passage from the Lopez case. And you have to be, you, know, you have to understand federalism to understand Lopez. So remember that most stuff is left to the states to do. The federal government doesn't come poking their nose in much business. For some reason, they decided they want to get involved in this Lopez case where he had brought a gun to school and violated, uh, you know, the fact that um, the Gun-Free Schools Act, where you can't bring guns to school. And uh, it was charged by the state of Texas, and the federal government wanted to get involved. And so that, that's where it's U.S. versus Lopez, all right, because he's arguing, hey, federal government, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be doing this. And so that's kind of the, uh, the foundation. So on the test, you're going to see a, uh, a letter that was written by a Texas foundation to the Supreme Court. And you have to read it and figure out kind of what it says. So as long as you understand federalism, hey, it's a share of power. It's uh, getting involved. Uh, the federal government used it. I uh, used the Commerce Clause specifically to get involved uh, in state matters where yeah, they kind of have a right to be, but maybe not. Uh, you should be okay. All right. Uh, number five, how do states feel about federal funding, <clears throat> excuse me, and federal oversight? So this is pretty simple. Uh, they like federal funding. States love it. They love to get money. They love to get money from the feds. Uh, and they like it when it comes with no strings attached. So they are perfectly happy with things like the block grants where there's not as much red tape to go through, where they can just, they spend it on the program, but they get to run the program how they want to. They don't have to keep up with how they're spending it. They just spend it. Versus those categorical grants where they have to do a lot of, um, a lot of items that are going to make sure they're spending it where they're supposed to be spending it. So they don't like the categorical side. So they like the money that they can do what they want with it. They don't like the other side. With that comes federal, with money comes federal oversight. States don't like federal oversight. They don't like being watched. Okay. They don't like being watched. Um, they would prefer the feds to kind of stay out of their business and just let them spend the money how they want to. But the feds won't do that because they're giving them the money. And so they're not going to always just sit back and say, here's, here's a check. Go do what you want with it. That's not going to happen very often. All right, number six, and I talked about this in class, uh, and the College Board is going to give you a topic, Fed 84 here, that has that we don't go over, we don't cover. You know, we never cover it in class. It's not one that we talk about very often. Um, when you get it, it's going to have a passage from Fed 84, and you're going to have to, to read the passage and then uh, answer a question about said passage, okay? Uh, you don't have to know what Fed 84 is about because the passage is all you need, really. So, but just as a heads up, 
looking at it right now in front of me, uh, Fed 84 is about the Bill of Rights and that sort of stuff. Now, remember, Alexander Hamilton and the Federalists were not really for Bill of Rights. That was a compromise that they gave to the Anti-Federalists to sign off on the, the Constitution. So just keep that in mind. Uh, but other than that, I think you should be able to uh, answer the two questions that go with that based on the passage and just what you know about um, the Federalists, the Anti-Federalists, uh, the Federalist Papers versus the Brutus, the response, you know, uh, by the Anti-Federalists to the Federalist Papers. All right, number seven, Declaration of Independence, its origins and ideas behind the document. Okay, so there's going to be a quote from the Declaration of Independence on there, and you got three questions to answer about it. So the Declaration itself is going to, you know, uh, make us an independent country. We break away from England uh, with this document. Thomas Jefferson is going to write it. Uh, he is going to write it based off of the enlightened thinkers, specifically John Locke and his ideas of, of natural rights. Uh, remember that Locke believed that there was three specific natural rights. There was life, liberty, and property. Uh, Jefferson will change that to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But those are our natural rights. Every single person is born uh, with those rights, okay? And it was John Locke's belief also that it's the government's job to protect those rights, okay? So it's the government's job to protect those natural rights. Um, and because of that, there's this, the social contract, which was a Hobbes thing and a, and a Locke thing. But the social contract is basically the fact that, you know, we, the people, we could govern ourselves. But we don't. We let the government, we basically consent to the government governing us, making rules and laws and policies that are going to benefit us, protect us, and keep us safe and secure, and protect our natural rights. Um, so that's a big idea in the Declaration of Independence as well, is the consent of the government. Okay. Um, and basically, the document is going to go through and say, hey, these are, these are all the things that we, we feel we deserve. And then they get into the grievances and he starts you know, calling King George out saying, this is where you failed to provide for our natural rights. This is where you've not listened to the government and saying things like that. So uh, I think that's enough about the Declaration of Independence. All right. Uh, quotes from Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution. So um, it is a, there's a literally a quote from Article 1, Section 8. Uh, Article 1, Section 8 lists some of the expressed powers of uh, Congress, okay? So Congress can do this, Congress can do that. Yeah, declare war, coin money, some of the stuff, most all the stuff we've talked about in class. Um, and you just have to be able to answer those questions uh, about it. So I'm not going to spend a great deal of time. It is, like I said, Article 1, Section 8 is a congressional thing, uh, and it's some of the, the expressed powers, the enumerated powers, whichever way you want to say it, uh, of the Constitution. All right, the amendment process. All right, so you wrote an FRQ about the amendment process. Uh, remember, there are two ways to, to get one proposed. Uh, Congress, so the, the representatives and the senators that we have up in D.C. can propose one. Or we could call a national convention and have delegates come and, and propose and vote on it. It needs two-thirds of Congress or the national convention to be approved and go to the next step. Alrighty. Once Congress has approved it, it then goes to the states. You can have the state legislatures ratify it, or we could have state conventions ratify it. You need three-fourths 
of the states, 38 of them, uh, to, to basically make it into a, a true amendment. Okay. Remember, it's an example of federalism because it's the sharing of powers between the national and the states. It's a complete legislative process in that there's no presidential, no veto, no nothing like that, uh, and there's no courts. The Supreme Court cannot rule an amendment as, uh, as unconstitutional because it's once it's a part of the Constitution, it's a part of the Constitution. Uh, and also remember, you know, part of your FRQ was about why was it why is it so difficult? All right, um, you know, this is a those, those are big numbers to get to two thirds of Congress and then three fourths of uh, of the courts. I mean, uh, of the uh, states, excuse me. Um, and just remember, we don't want just any old thing being an amendment, being a part of our Constitution. We, we want these things to be serious, needed. Uh, we want the, the people that are making them, the people that are decided to sign them, uh, to take them serious. And, you know, that's why we've only had 27 amendments. That's not a lot um, to have. Now, sidebar for just a second. I just read that the amendment we said failed, the ERA amendment, uh, has finally gotten to the number of states. I think the 38th state was Virginia, and they agreed to it a couple years ago now. So there's some discussion about going ahead and implementing it because there's a time frame. You have seven years, but the time frame for the ERA was waived. And I, I know the story, but I'm not going to get into the story of why the time was waived. So it'll be interesting to see if they go ahead and push through the ERA since it's finally gotten to that um, three-fourths thre threshold. So that's something to watch. Okay. Uh, block grants versus categorical grants. We did this in class on Wednesday. So this is that fiscal federalism. Uh, block grants, remember, those are the grants that allow the states to kind of spend the money how they want to uh, versus categorical grants where you have to meet criteria, you have to spend a certain way. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of strings. Remember, that strings attached thing uh, with those categorical grants. All right. Um, weaknesses of the articles and the constitutional responses. So you need to know the weaknesses, you know, that, uh, that are out there and some of the responses that uh, the Constitution came up with. So remember, you know, no taxing. Well, Article One sets it up to where Congress can tax. No military. Article One sets it up where Congress can have a, um, what you call it, a military and, and hold it and keep it and up, uh, keep it upkeep it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, states can print money. So Congress is the only one that can print money in Article One. No executive, no judiciary. So Article Two and Article Three create a um, what you call it, a uh, uh, the executive and the judicial branch uh, need thirteen out of thirteen states to change the articles. Well, let's set up the amendment process. So uh, those are some uh, that will will be in there, or not not have the potential you know you got to understand the weaknesses uh, of the constitution once again that's something we did that when i was out so be sure you're checking out that google doc uh federalists i think is the next one versus versus anti-federalists we already talked about that a little bit uh that is the federalists were for the constitution for the strong republic for a big giant government versus um the anti-federalists who said hey a small government a small republic is going to be better suited for our needs they're going to protect us protect those freedoms because remember the Bill of Rights was something that the the uh, anti-federalists were big into wanting 
uh, because they were afraid that the, the freedoms that we wanted and needed and deserved were going to be you know, taken away by a large government. Whereas the Federalists said, well, hey, a large government will just protect those freedoms. So that was the, the argument there. Uh, 13, the different types of government. So uh, remember, first off, we are a republic slash representative democracy. Uh, and that is where you know we go vote and we pick people to make laws, make policies for us versus a participatory democracy. Remember that where we would all be taking part in the everyday dealings, I should say everyday, but in, in the policies that we're going to have that rule over us. It's almost impossible to do for us. Back in the colonial days, they could do it. When they had the town hall meetings, they had small villages with like 10 people, 100 people, whatever. When there were smaller numbers, it was okay, and, and they were able to do some participatory democracy stuff. We can't do it. You know, We couldn't even do it for Gwinnett. We couldn't even do it for the cities, Swanee, Lawrenceville. There's too many people. It's just too big. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. Explain separation of powers and checks and balances. All right. So separation of powers was a Montesquieu. Remember, he was a philosopher uh, idea. Uh, he saw kings making laws, enforcing laws, and then judging the laws. And he's like, not one person should have much power. And our founding fathers agreed with that. And so they came up with the branches of government to make sure that not one branch, not one person accumulates all these different powers. That's what separation of powers is. The checks and balances side is going to be where <clears throat> the branches watch over each other. So it's the watchdog function that the branches have over the other. So the president, the executive branch, can veto laws that Congress passes. Congress can impeach the president. The judicial branch does con um, the judicial review where they can look at bills and laws and policies and say, hey, that's unconstitutional. Uh, so all those things fall under the, the category of checks and balances. Now, on your quiz, there's a lot of specific checks and balances. There's not that specific stuff uh, on this test. All right. So you don't have to know the specifics like you did for the quiz. Uh, concurrent powers, 15. Uh, those are the powers that are shared by the state and federal government. Okay, and I'd like to use the example of taxes because they can both tax us. So concurrent powers just allow basically the federal government and the states to both influence us in certain areas. All right. Uh, number 16, what does the Tenth Amendment do? So the Tenth Amendment, remember, this is the state's powers amendment. It's what sets up the reserved powers of our government. All right. So. Uh, it says as long as it's not specifically denied in the Constitution, it's left to the states. So, uh, you know, the military, the coin of money is what I, the example I used in class. That it specifically says states can't do that. But other things are left to the states. And those are just those reserve powers. Uh, 17, we already answered what federalism is. Uh, just remember that's the sharing of power amongst the states and the federal government. Uh, 18, how could Congress make changes to the driving age? So this is similar to the drinking age that we talked about in class. Remember, that's a state law, and driving age is a state law. If the national groups, National Congress, wanted to influence the states into doing something like raising the, the age uh, of the driving age, then they would have to probably dangle some money in front of them. Say, hey, if you do this, you get this money. If you don't do this, you don't get this money. So something along those lines. Uh, 19, Wisconsin versus Yoder. So in this case, 
the Amish wanted to pull their kids from school after eighth grade. That violated Wisconsin law that said you had to wait till 16 to drop out or be pulled from school. And so the argument is, well, the Amish made it was, it's our religion. Free exercise clause says that we can you know, pull our pull our kids when we want to. And it's going to go to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court is going to agree that this Wisconsin law, all right, uh, gets in the way of their religion. So their religious practices were compromised because of that. All right, 20, I told you in class that I got rid of the philosopher question. Uh, so that is not on there. It is now the Great Compromise. And remember, that is the one that created the two-house legislature, the House, which is based on population, and the Senate, which is based on equality. The three-fifths compromise, uh, that is the, the problem, was that population was going to determine how many people you had in Congress and how much you were going to pay in taxes. Now, there was an issue because the South, they looked at their population and they weren't as populated as the North until you started counting their slave population. So the South was like, well, we're going to count our slave population for representation purposes. But when it came to tax purposes, they didn't want to count them. Now, the North was the opposite. They wanted the slave population to count for tax purposes for the South, but not for representation purposes. So they both wanted to kind of have it both ways. Um, the agreement was eventually the three-fifths compromise where they're going to count three-fifths of the slave population. So that's how that happened or why it happened. Uh, 22, explain pluralist, elite in class, and hyperpluralism. So pluralist theory, remember, this is a form of democracy where the groups, the factions, are there. We know that they're going to exist, and we talked about all the different things it can be. Uh, it can be based on race, sex, religion, all those things. It can be geography, business, whatever. Uh, but all the groups are created, and they're trying to get the government to, to help them out, basically. Well, um, they're going to keep each other in check. That's the whole point of pluralist theory, is that they're going to happen. There's going to be factions. There's going to be groups. They'll be kept in check by each other because there's going to be so many. Elite in class is pretty simple. That's the one that says, hey, there's a small group of people that run things in this country. Uh, that's probably what most people consider we're in is elite class theory. And then hyperpluralism is pluralism basically on steroids where all the groups are running amok. They're all being, the government's trying to keep them all happy, and they just can't do that. Okay, it's, it's going to be impossible to keep every single group happy because when you do something for one group, you're going to upset the other group. Uh, 23, Confederation and Unitary. So Unitary is what we came from prior to breaking away from England. You have the strong central government led by the king over in England telling the colonies what to do. So that is Unitary, where you have a strong central government, whether it's king or president, whatever it is, you have a strong central government that tells the states, that tells the colonies, that tells the political subunits, you know, uh, to get technical there, uh, what to do. So the American colonists didn't like that. So when they broke away, like, let's completely flip it. Let's go where the states, colonies, whatever you want to call it, have all the power. And yes, there is a, a government, a central government, but it's very weak. And they answer to us versus the other way. Okay, so think about all the things that the, the British 
put onto the colonists, starting with the proclamation of 1763, uh, where they couldn't move past the Appalachians and all that kind of stuff. Then you get into the taxes, the, you know, the Stamp Act and all that kind of stuff. Hey, you're just going to do this. And we didn't like that. So we're going to flip it with the Confederation. And now the states will dictate to the, the, the central government, the weak central government, what they're going to do. And remember, that's that part of the weakness of the of the Articles of Confederation, the whole fact that uh, the states did what they wanted to. Uh, 24, dual and cooperative federalism. So we did this on Wednesday. Remember, dual is that layer cake where the governments, state and national, stay in their lane, stay in their layer. So icing cake, icing cake. They don't mix. There's no, uh, you know, oh, well, let's, let's work together here. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay, and the examples on the board were uh, the military and education. So the national government controls the military. States don't try and get involved. Even though there are military bases here in Georgia, Governor Kemp is not going and observing those bases. He's not talking to the people there, talking to the military men and women um, that are serving. He stays out of it. Okay, same thing with education. You know, there's, there's no federal education officers coming down to Gwinnett. Uh, to look into what, what's going on in our classrooms and things like that. Cooperative is the opposite. That's marble cake. That is where they're going to mix. So it's kind of blurred. Uh, environmental laws with the state EPA, the national EPA. Uh, after 9-11 was the example of the board. So all those things play into the, the uh, cooperative. Uh, formal amendment process. Just remember it is difficult. We already went over the, the process, you know, two thirds and then three fourths. Just remember it's, it's a difficult process because what we said earlier, we don't want just any old thing to become a constitutional amendment. Bill of Rights, be familiar with the amendments. So one through 10. Uh, and remember in class, I said, just be kind of familiar with the, the overarching th themes of the amendments as they're chunked. So one through three, uh, that freedom of speech, religion, assembly, all that stuff, right to bear arms, no quartered or troops. Those are kind of your personal liberties that you have protected. Uh, then you have uh, four through eight, which are the rights of the accused. So if you're ever accused of a crime, uh, you know, you have rights from the time you're a suspect and they're looking to search you all the way through your incarceration up until your release. You have rights. So the Fourth Amendment, search and seizure. Fifth Amendment, you don't have to talk to the police or at your trial. Sixth Amendment is your right to a fair and speedy trial. Seventh Amendment deal, deals with the, the civil side where you are allowed to uh, get a, a jury trial if you're being sued. And then the Eighth Amendment is your protections from, um, what's it's called? Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. All right. Uh, oh, and then nine is citizens' rights and 10 is states' rights. Sorry. I was trying to move on. All right, 27, the clauses of the Constitution. So necessary and proper clause, this allows the Congress, it, it's written into the Constitution that Congress can stretch their powers. You might sometimes see it as the elastic clause because it does allow Congress to read and interpret some of the things that are in the Constitution. All right, and my favorite example comes from U.S. history, and that is the Bank of the United States. It doesn't say they can create it, but it does say they can control commerce. Therefore, let's stretch the Commerce Clause a little bit and let's create a uh, national bank. Okay. Uh, establishment Clause. Remember, this is the one that says there will be no state religion. Free Exercise Clause allows you to worship how you want to. Commerce Clause is not listed, but the Commerce Clause was because, remember, states 
did their own thing when it comes to economics. So um, they wrote into the Constitution, hey, the only people that can control interstate commerce is Congress. Okay. Um, the Supremacy Clause, remember, that's what's going to say, hey, the Constitution's number one, then comes laws of the, the U.S. government. So uh, I think those are all the clauses you got to know. Finally is McCullough versus Maryland. This is the one that backed up the Necessary and Proper Clause, the Supremacy Clause, and all those things. Remember, Maryland was trying to get rid of the Bank of the United States, which they questioned uh, the ability to have and its uh, legality. And the Supreme Court is going to say, yeah, uh, the federal government, because of the Necessary and Proper Clause, they're allowed to, to do this. Uh, the Supremacy Clause, they're allowed to do this. So uh, basically, the McCullough versus Maryland, the, the big thing to know is all this stuff was, was backed up. So the federal government and their powers was expanded, extended, whatever you want to call it, because the Necessary and Proper Clause was basically verified. All right, they got a blue check. Um, and the Supremacy Clause was, was backed up, verified as well. All right, that is the review. Uh, if you have questions after listening to this, please send me a text, send me an email. Just don't do it too late. Uh, I go to bed about 1030 or so. So be sure uh, and send me stuff before that. Uh, if not, I'm not going to get it until the morning and I'll respond in the morning. Now, usually I'm here at 630, but I got to take my little girl to school tomorrow. So uh, I will not be at school until a little bit later during first period. But feel free to, to stop by you know, at the end of first period if you need to have questions. Uh, and I'll do my best to answer them for you then or respond to your email in a timely fashion. Or, as always, social media, uh, Twitter, chhsgov underscore civics, or mine, kdaniels, apgov, and I'll respond to those uh, accounts. All right, guys, best of luck on the test, and I'll see you in class. Later, guys.